Good morning. Thank you. Let's begin this morning by, with a poll. All right? Very some simple questions to ask. How many in this audience has ever been down a one-way street? Raise your hand. You've just driven down a one-way street. All right? Raise your hand if you've been down a one-way street the wrong way. Okay, I was nervous. I thought I might be the only one. All right, one, one final question. How many has been down a one-way one way street the wrong way in St. Louis with a bunch of teenagers in a church bus? <laughs> okay, just as I suspected, just me. All right, that's scary. <laughs> you don't know where you're at in St. Louis. And it's just, you're going down this road, it's like, oh, I can't go any further, and I'm having to try to back up. And uh, I don't know where Jordan's at. Jordan, thank you, wherever you're at. He helped me through that uh, debacle. But we got through it. The kids had a blast. <laughs> I was a nervous wreck. But it's not fun, is it, going down, the, uh, going down the street the wrong way. And that's the emphasis of our lesson this morning. We don't want to go down the wrong, wrong way street, gospel street, and be lost. And our whole emphasis for this morning is to look at God's plan. God's way of salvation and figure out what do we need to do. <clears throat> a lot of the things I'm going to talk about this morning, I would dare say 90% of this congregation is going to be get really close to just tuning me out because you're going to know what I'm going to say before I say it. So you might want to take some notes on this. We've got a lot of scriptures to look at, but it's a very, very important message and I hope everyone will pay attention because we're not, after this lesson, nobody should leave this auditorium thinking, well, I, don't know what, I still don't know what to do to be saved. You can't say that. At least I hope you can. Well, let's look at God's way of salvation. There's a great question that is asked, what must I do to be saved? In Acts chapter 2, we're going to look at that chapter a little bit fuller uh, later on. But in Acts chapter 2, the day the church began, uh, those people who heard that sermon from the apostles were pricked in their heart and they asked, they're looking around and saying, men and brethren, what are we going to do? Later on when the apostle Paul sees the risen Christ on his way to arrest Christians and the, and the risen Christ appears to him on the road to Damascus and puts Paul literally on his knees Paul recognizes Jesus as Lord and asks, Lord, what would you have me to do? Then in Acts chapter 16, as Paul and Silas are preaching, they're in jail, excuse me, and uh, all the things that happened there, the earthquake and so forth, and, and, the, and the jail is burst open, and the jailer is afraid, and he, he he'd heard the songs being sang, no doubt, and he asked this question, what must I do to be saved? I don't know if there's any more important question to ask. Spiritually speaking, what must I do to be saved? Because at our very worst, as human beings, we're unsaved sinners. At our very best, as human beings, we're saved sinners. Either way, we're sinners. And we need help. Because we sure can't say, what must I do to be saved? I can't do it on my own. 
I need help. I need God's help. I need the help of Jesus. But as we look at being a sinner and everybody wanting to go to heaven, you get all kinds of different scenarios of how to go. Some might tell you about the universal way, universalism. That is, live as you please. All are saved. If you're Hindu, Buddhist, Muslim, Jew, Christian, this or that, we're all on the same path. We're all going to the same place. We're all going to heaven. There's many different roads to heaven, according to the universalist point of view. For the Catholic, it's me and God and the Pope and priest in between. Calvinism would teach, teaching from John Calvin, who was a contemporary of Martin Luther, uh, you don't have to do nothing. Don't do anything. God's already taken care of it. You're saved. You're not. You're saved. You're not. You're saved. You're not. Because you see, according to that doctrine, you're saved or you're not. And once you're saved, you can't fall from grace. I don't know if they've ever read Galatians 5, what Paul stated there, that you can fall from grace, but that's the teaching of Calvinism. But you're on the road to heaven. The Wesleys, the Wesley brothers, who, who started this, uh, this church where they were called very methodical, hence the Methodist. And uh, matter of fact, we sing a lot of their songs that they wrote in our hymn book. We sang one last night at our youth event. Last night, and can it be a beautiful song? But they would teach, and they held hold to the teaching that faith only. All you got to do is believe and have faith, and you're saved, and you're going from a sinner to heaven. Moral relativism. There's a lot of good people. I hear this all the time, and I'm sure you do too. That was a good man. Boy, that was a good woman. Never stepped foot in the church. Never accepted Jesus as their savior. May believe in God, may not, but never became a Christian. But, oh, that's a good person. They have to be going to heaven. See, being moral was relative to going to heaven. Revivalism. Pray, you come through. Shout, sing. Emotions. It feels right. I feel like I'm saved. There I must be saved. I'm going to heaven. And then the denominational world teaches various ways that you can go from being a sinner to heaven. But is that the facts? And we think about being a sinner and, and, and all these different entities and peoples and groups teaching all different ways you can go and you can get to heaven that way. But is it the case? Who is right? How can you know? How can we know if we're right, if we're, uh, how can we know if we're on the road to salvation? If we're on the road to heaven, how can we be sure? Upon what basis do you believe? Are you confident, as you sit there, are you confident you're saved? Why? Or are you sure that you're not saved? Well, why not? And that's things we need to talk about. But one thing's for sure, and I don't mean this in be cruel, but to say there's so all these many different ways to heaven is just false. 
It's an absurd statement to even think that, that Jesus, what did Jesus die for? Was it a buffet? If I could just go and pick and choose, oh, thank you Jesus for dying, but I like to do this and this and this, and then I'll go on my way to heaven. Is that what he died for? No, absolutely not. He died for a reason. He died to give us one way to heaven. When we think about the gospel way of salvation, we want to make sure we're safe and that we're sure and that we are, we are confident that we are on our way to heaven. We have a soul. And we can, we can all see each other and turn and say hi to our neighbor and, and shake our hands and, and see the flesh and the blood and the face and all this stuff, but that's just a shell of who we are. Regardless of what happens to us. You know, that, the shooter in Aurora, Colorado, who took those lives, yeah, they took flesh and blood down. Or he took flesh and blood down. And the memory still remains, but those people, just the body died. The soul has gone on to its eternity. And that happens with all of us. There is a soul. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, how much is your soul worth? If you could gain the entire world, would you give your soul up for it? What profit would it be? What do you gain from giving up your soul? In 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5 and verse 10, notice what is stated for Paul. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Everybody will appear before Christ. And before his judgment seat, whether, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing or everything in between, and give an account of it. And Jesus will judge us on it. So the soul truly is, the soul is going to live for it forever. It's going to go into eternity, one or two places. And where is it going? There's one way to heaven. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and verse 14. To me, the entire Sermon on the Mount hinges around these two verses. Because Jesus in these verses talks about there is a very broad path that everybody seems to like to get on and follow. But what did Jesus say about it? It leads where? Destruction. But what about the Christian path? What did He say about that? It was narrow. It was difficult. If you stay on that path and endure it, what do you find? Eternal life. There's only one way that leads to heaven, and that's through Jesus. Jesus himself made that statement that he was the way, the truth, and the life. Everybody, if you're going to go to heaven, if you're going to be pleasing to the Father, then we have to be the one, we have to follow the one who came incarnate in the flesh. That was Jesus. Now, if we're sick, and we go to the doctor, and the doctor gives us a medicine, and we go and get it filled, and we take it, more than likely, it's going to do its work. It's going to help. But if you don't follow the prescription, it's not going to help. I know from experience, because I'm bad for not taking all of my medicine when I should. And may I see some smiles, so maybe the same way. But if, usually if I take prescribed like I've, I've been told to, things will be fine. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 12, Jesus is the great physician. He tells us. He's not going to steer us wrong. He's going to tell us exactly what we need to do. Matter of fact, Jesus' way, following Him, 
is sure. If you want to be safe and confident of where you're going eternally, follow the way of Jesus. Follow His path. He knows. In John chapter 8 and verse 12, Jesus made this statement, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Jesus is the light. He illuminates the way we need to go. Matter of fact, the psalmist put it this way, uh, that God's Word was a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. The way is lit for us. We can know with confidence and surety and be saved. We can know for an absolute fact how to go from being a sinner to a saved sinner to heaven. We can know that. Now here's why I'm going to kindly ask that you stay with me because again, a lot of you are going to know this before we even say it. But how do you, what must I do to be saved? If you're not a Christian, I want you to really listen. You might even write down these verses as we go along. But if you're not a Christian, or if you're, if you're not really sure how to maybe teach somebody how to be a Christian, hopefully after this you will know. But God's way, and also let me make this statement too. This is not the gospel of Steve Hillis or the gospel of the elders at Bobby Branch or the gospel of Bobby Branch. This is coming from the words of Jesus who has all authority and from the mouth and the words of those who he delegated power to, uh, his apostles and those who wrote this. I think it stands to reason. If you're going to follow something, you have to hear about it. Wouldn't you say? I mean, if you're going to be a follower of whatever it may be, you have to know something about it. You have to hear about it. Somebody either has to tell you about it or you read about it yourself. So it is necessary to hear the gospel to be saved. Why? Well, for one reason, it's commanded. It's a commandment. When Jesus gave the parable about the wayward seed and, and the stony ground and the thorns and the good way, at the very end of that, he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Pay attention to the message he's stating. Then in verse 18 he makes this statement. Therefore take heed how you hear, for whoever has to him more will be given, and whoever does not have, even what he seems to have will be taken from him. Take heed, be careful, beware how you're hearing. Be careful when the message is preached, you're paying attention to it. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 22. Again, we're going to talk about Acts chapter 2 more fully in just a moment. But when the apostles and Peter stand up to begin their message, they stated, Therefore, men of Israel, hear these words. Listen. Pay attention to it. So we have to hear the gospel. It's a commandment. But what are we really talking about? How can we explain to someone, okay, I understand I've got to hear it, but what, what fully does that entail? When John chapter 6, beginning at verse 44, note what Jesus made uh, stated here's what he said he said no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and i will raise him up at the last day it is written as it is written in the prophets and they shall be taught by god therefore everyone who has heard and learned from the father comes to me everyone who hears the gospel the more you hear the words of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, the more you're drawn to it. 
That's why we are commanded to study it. That's why we are commanded to teach people. Because the more we study it, the more we teach it to people, the more we and they are drawn to it. Romans chapter, actually Romans chapter 10 and verse 17. Uh, faith comes by what? Hearing. Hearing the word of God. There's a reward for listening to the gospel or hearing the gospel. And you know this. The little kids know it. If I start doing this, they know exactly what we're doing. Okay? The wise man built his house upon the rock. The foolish man built his house on the sand. That's what Jesus ended the great Sermon on the Mount with those words. And he stated, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them will be like a wise man. But anyone who hears these words and does not do them will be like a foolish person. So there's a difference in hearing and going your way versus hearing and doing something with what you've heard. And there's a reward for it. There's also consequences. In John chapter 12, verse 48, Jesus made this statement. He who rejects me and does not receive my words, no, has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. So as we, as we think about wanting to become a Christian and asking that question, what must I do to be saved? You have to hear the gospel. Either somebody has to teach it to you or you have to read it for yourself and come to some determination that Jesus and the gospels and the Bible is true. So you have to hear the gospel. Well, once you hear it, <clears throat> then you've got to make a determination. Once you've, somebody's talked to you about the gospel, you've studied yourself, whatever it may be, then you've got to come to a um, decision. Do I believe it or do I not? So we're talking about believing. It is necessary to believe or, in other words, have faith in order to be saved. It's a commandment. It is commanded. In 1 John chapter 3, uh, verse 23, And this is His commandment that we should believe on the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as He gave us commandment. This is His commandment. We must believe in the name of Jesus Christ. We must there's no way around that. In Acts chapter 16, verse 30 and verse 31, where the Philippian jailer and Paul is preaching and talking to him, said, you must believe. You must believe. You have to believe. You have to have faith that Jesus, that God is, that Jesus is, that the Holy Spirit is, that God's Word is real and can lead you to salvation. So you have to have faith. But let's try to explain this further. What exactly does it mean? When the Hebrew letter talks a lot about faith, especially chapter 11, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the foundation of the things we hope for, going to heaven, taking other people with us, and the evidence of things not seen. I've never sat down and had a conversation with God except through prayer. But I've never sat down, God on one side of the table, me on the other. Jesus on one side of the table, me on the other. I've never done that. But the evidence that there is a God is overwhelming if you just take the time to study and pay attention to nature. Looking up at the night, seeing all the stars and the moon. Looking at the human body. Looking at everything that is natural and created. Obviously been created. There is a God. In John chapter 20, beginning in verse 30 and 31, 
Jesus made this statement, or the, John makes this statement. And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. A lot of things Jesus did that wasn't written down. Why? But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. John would go on to state that Jesus did so many things, if you wrote them down, the world couldn't hold the books. But John states here, these are written for you. Everything is written for us to bring us to the point of faith that we can believe. In Romans chapter 10 and verse 9, uh, Paul said that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him, raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. Because if you believe that and you have faith, it's going to lead you to do everything that Jesus said to do. We talked about some who will state you can go to heaven by faith alone and faith only. When you read what James said about that, that's just not the case. Because James stated... Uh, that faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. In verse, and then he uses Abraham as an example of that, verse 21 to verse 24, to state, you know, it's not enough to say, I have faith, to show your faith, have a working faith. Then in verse 26, James states, For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. So just have faith alone will not save one. There's a reward for having faith, for believing. In verse 10 of Romans 10, For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. With the heart one believes unto righteousness. A righteousness that we can't have on our own, that, that Jesus himself has to give to us. But by belief, we get on that path. There's consequences also of not believing, of unbelief. Jesus made this statement. In John chapter 8, he said, You are from beneath, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am He, if Jesus said, If you don't believe I'm the Messiah, if you don't believe I'm the Christ, you will die in your sins. In Mark chapter 16 and verse 16, Those who believe and are baptized will be saved. Those who do not believe, condemned. So you heard the Word. You want, you, you're, you're studying it. Somebody's teaching you. You believe it. You believe that God is. And Jesus is His Son. And only, you can only go through Jesus to find salvation. Are you willing to change now? See, faith alone, we just read from James, is not enough. We have to repent. In Acts chapter 17 and verse 30, this is Paul at Athens among all the philosophers of his day, and he tells them that God had once winked at their ignorance, but now commands everybody, everywhere, to repent. It's a commandment. We have to repent. We have to change. Well, what are we talking about? What does that actually mean? Well, look at Matthew chapter 21, beginning with verse 28. Jesus gives a, Jesus gives a great example of what it means for repentance doesn't necessarily say the word repentance, but it's inferred in this statement. For in Matthew chapter 21, beginning in verse 28, we read, But what do you think? A man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not. But afterward he regretted it 
and went. Then he came to the second and said, Likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said to him, The first. Jesus said to them, Assuredly I say to you that tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. Tax collect, hated tax collectors and hated harlots are going to heaven, the kingdom of God before you. Why? Because they're willing to change. They're willing to recognize and look in the spiritual mirror and say, I'm a sinner. I am a sinner. And I need to change who I am. And they're willing to do that. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10 teaches this. Godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation. Not getting caught with your hand in the cookie jar, but understanding that there's a moral law, there's a biblical law, a godly law, and if we break that law, we've sinned. And we make God sad. And we don't want to make God sad, and we want to change what our ways. The reward... Think about Acts chapter 11, verse 18. states that when they heard these things, they become silent and they glorified God, saying, then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance of life. This is when Peter came back and told the apostles and told the church uh, in Jerusalem that the Gentiles had received the gospel. They were now saved and they began to question that. Well, no, they can't, they can't receive the gospel. They can't be saved. And then Peter recounts of what happened that day with Cornelius. Then they make this statement. They repented of what they had stated. They knew they were wrong. They had changed. There's consequences for not repenting. Jesus made this statement. He was talking about how some were complaining about how, the, how Pilate had mixed the blood of the Galileans in the sacrifice or about how the 18 at Siloam had, um, had died in a tower, fell on them. And Jesus said, you think they're worse sinners than you? And Jesus says in verse 3 and verse 5, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Everybody has, all of us have to repent. God at one time winked at our ignorance, but now commands that we change who we are and repent. So you've done that. You understand you need to do that. But it's also necessary to confess faith in Christ in order to be saved. Why? Well, number one, it's a commandment. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 32, Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. Remember, Jesus is our advocate. He's our mediator between uh, us and the Father. To get to the Father, we must go through Jesus. And Jesus said, I'll be that. If you believe in me, I'll do everything I can for you. I'll be your advocate. I'll, you confess me. If you're willing to openly say, yes, I believe that Jesus is the Christ. You need to believe in him. Here's what he says. Then Jesus is going to be our mediator and our advocate. He's going to confess us to his Father. Well, we're commanded. But Jesus is saying, you don't have to. Maybe you can. He's saying you have to. What are we talking about, though? How's that explained? When in Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and verse 10, here's what Paul stated. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart, that is the word of faith which we preach, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. We have to say something. Matter of fact, the greatest illustration is what David read earlier from the, from the Ethiopian treasurer. When he wanted to be baptized. And Philip says, well, do you believe? And the unit made that statement, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that's when the chariot stopped, and that's when they got out of the chariot, and they both went down into the water, and he was baptized. Again, in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus states, If you'll confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father, but there are consequences if we don't. Because Jesus makes a statement, If you don't confess me before men, don't expect me to talk to my Father about you. If you're ashamed to talk about me to your friends, to your family, if you can't confess that I am the Christ, then don't expect me to talk to my Father about you. That's the words of Jesus. But we see, though, as on the way of salvation, confession is part of it. And then baptism, to be baptized. It is necessary to be baptized in order to be saved. Why? Number one, it's a commandment. In Mark chapter 16, verse 15 and verse 16, where Jesus says, Go into all the world and preach the gospel. He says, Everyone who believes the gospel and is baptized will be saved. If they don't believe it, then obviously they're not going to be baptized and they're lost. In Acts chapter 10, verse 47 and verse 48, where Cornelius, the Gentile, wanted to be saved. He sent for Peter. Peter came up and talked to him. The Holy Spirit fell on them. And then Peter says, Who can keep these people from being baptized? And he commanded them to be baptized. So it's a command to do it. But what are we talking about? In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 5, as a matter of fact, I think Tony last week talked about from the Ephesians, there's many types of baptisms mentioned in the Bible. But here when he talks about the one baptism, he's talking about water baptism for the remission of your sins. And in Romans chapter 6, verse 3 and verse 4, you know, Jesus died on a cross, was buried in a tomb, and was resurrected from the dead. In Romans chapter 6, verse 3 and verse 4, that's exactly what Paul, he's using that symbolism to talk about baptism. I'm a sinner. I'm dead, but as I'm baptized, I go under the water. The old man, the old sins are killed off and dead, and I come up saved, resurrected, if you will. Acts chapter 22 and verse 16, Paul was told, or was commanded, what are you waiting on? Get up, get yourself baptized. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 27, Paul made it pretty simple. We have to be in Christ to be saved. We have to be. To go to heaven, we have to be in Christ. And Paul told the Galatians, for everyone who is baptized into Christ has put on Christ. If you're baptized into Christ, you put Him on. He's now yours. You are His. You belong to each other. We're now His bride. We're part of Him. There's a reward. Acts chapter 2 and verse 38 tells us uh, to be baptized for the remission of your sins. Chapter 22 and verse 16, Paul was told, get up, get yourself baptized, 
washing away your sins. Mark chapter 16 and verse 16, those who believe and are baptized will be saved. And in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 21, um, tells us that there's also an antitype that now saves us, baptism. Not taking a bath, not the removal of a, the filth of the flesh, but having a good conscience toward God. And it saves us. Consequence of not being baptized, those who believe, those who do not believe, are condemned. Those who are not baptized will not go to heaven. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 8, verse 9, states that Jesus will send His angels. Um, it's a sad statement when you think about it. When you think about all the things that, I mean, if someone doesn't follow all the plan, just follow some of it, but in First Thessalonians or Second Thessalonians chapter one, verse eight and verse nine, Jesus, uh, you know, basically makes the statement that um, in that in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know the gospel and those who don't obey the gospel. Well, you know it now; you're hearing it. But those who don't obey it, now that's in your court. And it's a sad day for not doing that. So that's how you become a Christian. Not my words. That's the words of Jesus. That's the words of the Bible. But guess what? We're commanded to live faithfully after becoming a Christian. Just having faith alone will not send me to heaven. Just not believing. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. And Jesus says, Me, he's going to say on that day, Lord, we've done this, we've done that. He's going to say, I don't know who you are. We have to live faithfully. What are we talking about? Romans chapter 12 tells us that we have to present our bodies a living sacrifice. We have to be transformed from this world. In 1 Peter chapter 2, it talks about we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, His own special people who were once in, who were once in darkness, but now we're in light. Keep following the light. Keep doing something. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5 to verse 11, tells us add to your faith, add to your faith, virtue, to virtue, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness. Add yourself, add these things. Keep growing, in other words. And go to these quickly. There is a reward. Jesus, Hebrews writer states that we, he learned obedience by what he suffered and having been, and having been perfected. He became the author of of eternal salvation, following His lead, following His way, living faithfully as Jesus did, there's a reward. Consequences of not following that? Several things. There's a lot of things that Revelation 21 especially talks about, 21 and verse 8, that... um, Cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, liars, all these people will not see heaven. In the second Peter chapter two, Peter wrote about this, for if after they have escaped the pollution of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the latter end is worse for them than the beginning, for it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to know it and fall from it. So we have to live faithfully after becoming a Christian. 
Paul made this statement that he was not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation. The New Testament way of doing things, the way to get to heaven, the way for salvation is still good today. It doesn't have to be changed. How they were saved in the first century in Acts chapter 2 is the very same way we are saved today. Because in Acts chapter 2, on that wonderful day of Pentecost, they heard the word and believed it. At least some of them did. And they were commanded. Peter said you had to... They asked a question. They were pricking their heart. It got to them, the message. They understood. They had killed the Christ. And they asked, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter said, Repent, that every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And that day, 3,000 people obeyed the gospel and were saved and continued in the breaking of bread, in the apostles' doctrine. They continued living faithfully. And that same pattern goes for today. If we want to go to heaven, we have to do things God's way. We have to. We have to hear the gospel. And come to a conclusion that it's real. And to, and to put your faith in it and grow in it. And to be willing to repent of your sins. To confess the great name of Jesus. To be baptized for the remission of your sins. And to stay faithful to Him. If we want to go to heaven, we have to do things God's way. And in Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, Paul made this, or Peter and John made this statement that there's no other name under heaven where somebody can find salvation. There's no other name other than Jesus of Nazareth, the Christ, where somebody can find forgiveness of sins. And if you need to become a Christian this morning or renew your life this morning, do it right now as we stand and sing.